for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist is it. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Ken. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank on before. It's Marsh in Canada and Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Fired up on a Monday. Welcome to Thanksgiving week and the last wonky week of the CFL season, everybody, as we are officially done week number nine in 2021. Feels crazy to say. I was talking with Sam Corbet from Sada City the other day when we were doing our happy hour tasting, which you can always find on YouTube. And he said, uh, how long in the season are you guys? I said, we just passed the halfway mark. What? I thought it just started. It did. Yeah, it's that's kind of how it's going to feel this year. Four months of football fury and then straight into the playoffs. And three weeks after that, we are donezo with a great cup in Hamilton coming up on December 12th. So it is wild to be here. We thank you for tuning in. As always, follow us on Twitter at CF Perspective. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. The man on the other side of this Zoom. Kyle Mello, he's wearing a Hamilton Hurricanes hat today. A little CJFL action for you here on CFP. What inspired this today, Kyle? Um, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I chose this one. It was on the um, top of the pile. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I want to always like wear a different hat on the podcast, but we've had so many shows now. I'm, I'm running. You're out of options. Yeah. Like the only other hats I have, I can only like wear with like a couple of things in my closet. I have like an orange hat. What the hell am I going to wear an orange hat for? And I'm wearing a blue shirt. I'm not going to put an orange hat on. Uh, it look like the Florida Gators. If you're a big Max Verstappen <laughs> guy, maybe you go hang out with the Dutch army there and uh, yeah. you, you wear the orange hat. And no, it was actually amazing. I went to a Max Milk the other day because my son is now drinking the 3.25% milk, the uh, homogenized milk, which, whew, man, that stuff's thick. Still doesn't compare to breast milk, but by God, like just look at the, st- <laughs> the stats on the side of that. Like one cup of homogenized milk is like nine grams of fat. I'm like, no, are you good? Like, is your heart going to stop we drinking all this stuff? I understand they got to have it because they're growing. Yeah. Milk, but I'm like, oh my God. Anyways, I went to a Max Milk. Haven't been to a Max Milk in probably a decade and walked inside. There was a Red Bull display. This is on Sunday. And next to the Red Bull display, of just the cans of Red Bull that you could buy, there was an entire section in a Max Milk of Max Verstappen gear. Whoa. Hats, T-shirts. Uh, there was mini helmets. I actually got no... It's a one. knockoff though, right? Just no, like every Euro Cup or World Cup? No, it's it's from Red Bull. It's a Red Bull. Oh. It's an actual... It, the gear was legit. The hats were snapbacks. They had Verstappen 33. They had the actual logos. Like... I couldn't believe that was just sitting in a Max Milk in Hamilton, Ontario, as I wandered in to just get milk. And then on the way out, I grabbed, they have replica helmets because you know how the helmet often changes based on where they're racing and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. They, they choose different designs and they do different kind of inspired things. And uh, they have these mini helmets that are kind of like the size of your fist. And they are all helmets from Max Verstappen victories that the different designs and the visor actually pops up. Like it's a real helmet on these little replica ones. So, Needless to say, I picked up a couple and I uh, and I delivered them to Noah because he plays with his little Red Bull racing uh, F1 car that is kind of like a, I don't know, probably <laughs> a foot long. That's one of his toys. 
uh, he successfully snapped the rear wing off of it, which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no DRS for him. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so I got him one of those. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, you could wear that if you wanted with the uh, with the orange hat. You know, it also that's super great. cool that you're uh, you're you're getting no one to F1 and just covering your bases there. Max Verstappen gear, Lando Norris's car, <laughs> just well, all across the board. To be fair, that was uh, one of my uh, uh, my fiance's great friends karina who actually bought the uh, the, McLaren, oh. the mclaren sports car the push car <laughs> but it doesn't mean that i'm not planning on putting a, a halo on that thing and treating it like an <laughs> f1 car so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to turn that thing into an f1 car right now a little rear wing action a little, uh, little halo maybe no one's definitely going to snap the halo off the oh, yeah. mclaren if you put it he's, on. he's going to do one of the like the things where the drivers grab the inside of the halo and pull themselves up and if, uh, yeah with my shoddy construction it's just going to crumble absolutely but uh, uh thank you for being here as we say uh, of course canadian football perspective is not possible without you the listeners uh, and of course it's not possible without fox 40 and sawdust city i mentioned sawdust city if you want brewery fresh beer delivered to your front door go to their website sawdustcitybeer.com shop their wide variety of brews and use the cfl promo code cfl is what you punch in that will get you free shipping courtesy of our friends at sawdust city and fox 40 which by the way if you haven't noticed in the cfl the logo on the back of the officials actual uh, uniforms i guess you would call them but uh, the officiating uniforms uh, there's a big fox 40 logo on the back which is kind of nice cool see they designed the new uh, uniforms for the officials so the logo's on there but they are our friends here of course and they want to get you back in the game they've got all sorts of great stuff for you at fox40shop.com fox40 gear whistles coaching boards and you can use another promo code cfp15 at checkout for 15 percent off of your order huge thanks to fox40 and sawdust city for supporting us here as we uh, continue on throughout the cfl season uh as i say a bit of a wonky week coming out of week number nine I've got the call Wednesday, I think, unless Rod Black wants to call that game too, um, uh, of Toronto at home celebrating the 91 Grey Cup championship team against the Ottawa Red Blacks and a suddenly interesting Red Blacks team coming up on Wednesday. I'll just say this off the top. It's terrifying calling an early week game. It is terrible because your, your preparation is so expedited. Like I have, this is Monday that we're taping this early in the morning. I have a zoom call with the Argos and the red blacks today on a Monday in order to get the prep done to be ready for the broadcast on Wednesday evening. I have so much respect for the people who turn around their prep quickly, whether it's the production staff, play-by-play people, not just in football, in every sport. Like if you are covering the Leafs, like you're Joe Bowen and you got to do like a Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, hockey night in Canada on a Saturday, like doing that bang, 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 never ending 82 games doing play-by-play for an early week game. For me, football is such a rhythm sport, a cyclical sport on day yeah. one, day two, day three, walk through game, day off, day one, day two, day three. Again. And for this one, it's like, I, we just ended. I'm still breaking down what happened in week nine, as we will hear in this podcast. But in essentially a little over 48 hours, it's like, hey, go call a game. It's like, ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, so that the stress of that, the pressure of that, I have found interesting because this is my first time calling a midweek game uh, in my life, I don't, I've never done a game that's been on a Wednesday. I don't believe I've done Labor Day Mondays. I've done Thursday nighters, but there's something crazy about trying to turn all of this around quickly. It should be a great fun game, though. I, I mean, as I say, Ottawa is super interesting now. I, I hope that Caleb Evans goes out and performs at a high level. I, I find it difficult to think that we're going to expect the world from him because he didn't give you 
this incredible 400-yard performance running for 200 yards in that first game against Edmonton back on last Tuesday. But he did show you enough to say, wow, this is more than competent. This is creative. This is different. And, uh, and so I just, I hope he brings that. My expectations for him in that night, I'm not going to set them at, hey, 300 yards passing and go wild and yeah. complete 90% of your passes. I want to see him complete 70% of his passes. I want to see him use his feet. I want to see him make good decisions. And I want to see Ottawa move the football with him as their new leader of their offense, we hope. Yeah. The, the one thing that stood out to me, and, and we can get into last week's games, when I looked at Caleb Evans, and obviously I did some research on him when I was you know writing my article, and yep. I was on the Red Blacks at, in the game, maybe because there was an unknown factor with Caleb Evans that was intriguing, um, but also it was kind of a bet against the Elks. Mm-hmm. But Evans... If he can just play safe football, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, where he doesn't break his team's back with throwing an interception. I think the two weeks previous to last week's game, um, Dominic Davis had chucked two pick sixes. You chuck a pick six, all of a sudden you're putting the team way behind the eight ball. Like you can't do that. Um, so if Caleb Evans could just go out there and even if he limits himself to one turnover, he keeps the Red Blacks relevant in the game. In the first three quarters, if you're you know turning the ball over three times, man, it is so tough. I think that defense is good enough where you're not going to get absolutely run over by most teams in the CFL, and I think that's the case. Um, but but for Caleb Evans, uh, you know, for him to go in to Toronto, it's it's not the easiest um, you know uh, place to play um, in terms of the opposition. But I like what. I saw in the first week, but I'm with you. If I don't expect another, you know, three touchdown passing touchdown performance uh, for Caleb Evans, but he can do some things that I think Dominique Davis was, was struggling with, or maybe other CFL teams just had the handbook on, you know, how to, you know, hold in Dominique Davis, uh, Dominic Davis in terms of, you know, him running an offense or him making plays against you. Um, and maybe there's not that much information on Caleb Evans. Yeah, which leads me to two thoughts to wrap up on Ottawa here because they were way back last Tuesday is one, the most difficult thing to do, I think, as a professional quarterback is to have success in games two, three and four. So to your point, that's going to be tough for Evans, especially like it's Chris Jones. Chris Jones is running Toronto's defense now. Like, so he knows exactly how to handle these kind of things. He knows how to scheme. My guess is he just blitzes the hell out of Caleb <laughs> Evans. And then the question becomes, okay, well, how does Lapalise get to his quick hitters? And how does he prevent Caleb Evans from throwing a bad interception when he's trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly? Because if you program your quarterback all week with, they're going to blitz, they're going to blitz, they're going to blitz. It's Chris Jones. I know what he's about. He's this stuff. If they're going to do that, you got to get the ball out. The quarterback eventually will just catch it, turn, not read something and throw it directly into the chest of a defender. So that's a dangerous thought. The second one is, Kyle, and it's just a question for you because I don't really have an answer for this, but I find it to be an interesting question. They signed Duck Hodges and everybody says, well, how soon is he going to be ready? And this Evans guy's just a holdover. And um, the other quarterback, Taylor Christian, which by the way, when I saw Taylor Christian come in and go for a run, the joke did pop into my head that uh, there was a quarterback in the CFL named Christian who went for a run and it wasn't Tim Tebow. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I did look at, at Caleb Evans and what he did in that first game. And I thought, why the hell were they trotting out Dominique Davis? So Matt Nichols is dinged. Dominique Davis looks 
outside of that first game where he comes in and he's fresh, which again, first game. So it's possible that that was how he got success was people just didn't really, the book wasn't up on him. They hadn't prepared for him, but how much do you hold it against the Ottawa coaching staff? Because they've skated on a lot of this where you go, well, they don't have the talent. They don't have the, this, they don't have the, that they've had injuries. They've had, and then you see Dominic Davis playing. You're like, why, why are we playing him? He's, he's not able to do this. And then in comes Caleb Evans doesn't again blow you away but plays at a a higher level more productive leads the team down the field gets a victory at home creates excitement in that fan base the Ottawa fans were vibing because of the energy in the stadium created by him and the enthusiasm in the offense and my thought was why was he not playing before because he's been in camp the entire time he's not somebody who's difficult to get across the border he's not a free agent that they had to pick up on the fly he's been there so do you hold it at all against the Ottawa coaching staff that Caleb Evans just got his first shot and did what he did. And Dominique Davis got in there for whatever it was, three, four weeks. Ooh. Um, look, I think if you're Caleb Evans, whether or not you're going to continue being the starting quarterback is going to be in your hands mm-hmm. um, for Ottawa. And you brought it up. I think last week um, after kind of the roster came out for the red blacks and what they were going to look like against Edmonton. I don't understand why Dominic Davis went on the injured list. (laughs) Like he looked banged up, but is he banged up enough to be on the injured list? And my thing is, is if you're going to bring in duck Hodges and you're going to bring in, you know, Caleb Evans, and those guys are going to be your, you know, ride or dies. And they brought in another quarterback as well. And he was the backup uh, to Caleb Evans in that, that game against uh, Edmonton, Matt Nichols is probably the vet. So he's probably going to stay on your roster, but what are you going to have? four, five quarterbacks on your, on your roster. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but for Ottawa, I don't know how it is in that room, right? Dominic Davis could be the best teammate in the world. And everybody in that room wants to see Dominic Davis around. Um, but is it good for the growth of Caleb Evans potentially or a duck Hodges if he you know takes over? So my, my thing with Ottawa right now is, and I, I said this on the sports cage when I was on there a couple of weeks ago, because Derek Taylor was asking me, you know, what would you do at quarterback? And I said, every single position in Ottawa this season should be under evaluation. Oh, yeah. Including quarterback. So yeah. if you are and I saw the other day that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I should say that they brought in in one press release, they signed essentially six or seven receivers. And to me, that was screaming, we're going to sign seven receivers. And if we get one or two out of this batch, we're happy with that. But that's yeah. what we're going to do is bring in as many as we can, work them hard in practice, see who wants to get in the game, see who could start to produce. Like Sharon Peak out of Clemson, I don't even know if he's still on the roster, if he's on an injured list, but he was a guy that, that came in in week four, got his first opportunity, got targeted three times, didn't have a single catch, I don't believe. And I haven't heard from him since. That's a great example of you got your opportunity because apparently he was great in practice from the people I talked to. He gets yeah. in, he doesn't do anything. I haven't heard from him since. So they brought in a bunch of people at receiver. And I said to DT on the sports cage, why are they not doing that with quarterback? Why are you not just bringing in three, four guys and seeing who impresses you the most? Well, they're doing that now. But in order to do that and in order to move forward, Mm -hmm. Matt Nichols is done in Ottawa. Like, I know that that sounds crazy, but Paul Apolis working with him, it's great. And maybe if he had more talent around him, he could facilitate. But his arm has not looked the same this year. Dominique Davis does not look like he can get the job done. They need to cut bait with the past because they tried to play the consistency card that, well, we'll bring in Nichols. He's the safe one. Yeah, but he was safe and not good. 
So would you rather be safe and not good or adventurous and not good? I'd rather be yeah. adventurous and not good. And if Caleb Evans is going to show any signs of improvement for the remainder of this year, if he stays starting, then you bring him back and you go with him, which I find super exciting because Ottawa, I think, is a fan base that will latch onto a new, fun, athletic starter who kind of plays a little bit like Vernon Adams Jr. And the idea <laughs> in, the, in the East, because let's be real about this, there's been times in the East where you look at it and it's like, uh, you know, the the front end of a Friday night doubleheader or a Saturday afternoon game. What do we got this week? It's uh, it's Ottawa-Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> right? And if you get in this quarterback matchup moving forward, Caleb Evans, Vernon Adams Jr., young, athletic, exciting, guys that will throw vertical as Evans learns the game more and more. I just feel like I'm not trying to push Nichols out the door. I'm not really trying to push Davis out the door. I just think they've had their opportunity. Give it to somebody new. Ottawa deserves to have some new blood at quarterback. And if they can prove themselves, then that's why you bring in talent. And that's why you try to see what they can do. Yeah. And look who they're playing this week, right? Yeah. A win over Toronto, all of a sudden Ottawa's to three wins and there's a chance they could, you know, make a run to the postseason. Um, for, for Caleb Evans, like, like I said, you know, his future with Ottawa, especially this season is going to rely on, on his play. Um, but for the Red Blacks, I know that they're kind of a work in progress in terms of the makeup of their roster. Um, there was a report that came out this week, or actually not a report, Marcel Desjardins openly discussed it. Um, they called Devere the Posey and they yeah. were like, hey, what is it, you know, what's it going to take to get you into Ottawa? And apparently they discussed numbers. Apparently those discussions are ongoing. Um, but he wants, you know, Devere Posey in Ottawa because Devere Posey is a playmaker. Um, the cutting in, in Hamilton kind of surprised me. Um, after talking about it with Steve Milton, maybe less surprising again, I'm not a practice every day. So, yeah. you know, apparently Devere Posey didn't look fantastic. Um, Steven Dunbar for, for the Ticats looked a little bit better. Um, but Devere Posey, he can definitely go to Ottawa and maybe make a stamp there and help out a team where, you know, I think there's holes all over the roster. So that goes to your point about, I think every, you know, position is under evaluation, um, but for Ottawa, why not try and win in the meantime and put the guy, you know, uh, best suited to, to put you in that position. And as of right now, it's Caleb Evans because he's one to know as a starting quarterback. Uh, yeah. And on the other side of this, going into Toronto, I'll just say this, go to X's and Argos. Ben Grant has done a great breakdown of McLeod Bethel Thompson versus Nick Arbuckle as Arbuckle continues to try and rehab and get himself back into the flow of things. So, uh, that, that'll be a fun one. I'm excited. Wednesday night, I'm going to have the call again. Myself, Dwayne Ford, Matthew Shinetti, uh, and I, I hope that it's a really good game. And I hope we have some good weather, too, because it's just pissing rain in Toronto today. Uh, it is on a Monday <laughs> Yesterday morning. Yesterday was terrible. Yeah, Sunday night rain, Monday night. I'm like, man, I hope that this is just a system that's going to push its way through and, and not get in the way of Wednesday night's game, because it should be a really fun game uh, back and forth between these two teams. Uh, all right, let's move on to a bit of a weekend recap here for week number nine. Let's go back uh, on Friday evening. It was the lone kickoff, a 10 p.m. lone kickoff. A uh, bit of a weird experience, staying up, waiting for the game, starts at 10 p.m., but mm -hmm. you end up having the Winnipeg Blue Bombers getting themselves a victory dominant fashion against BC. BC in the last two weeks, Kyle, has had home games against Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. And I tweeted out, before they had this two-game little mini stretch at home against these two top teams in the West, this is their opportunity to A, make up ground, and B, send a message that they're actually for real. They've lost both the games. The one against Saskatchewan, they should not have lost special teams errors. Yeah. We went over that last week. This one, complete and utter domination, I thought, by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And uh, it's disappointing for BC fans because 
that that franchise feels rejuvenated right now. It really does. And I, I like the way that they are trending. Michael Riley goes 17 of 27 for 177. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Zach Kalaros out of his mind. 28 of 33. 417 yards, which I think was only 12 yards shy of his career high, which was 429 in 2017 with the Ticats. Uh, he has two touchdowns, no interceptions. Andrew Harris, 81 yards rushing on 15 touches. Kenny Lawler, 12 catches on 14 targets. He went crazy. 205 <laughs> yards, easily his best game as a pro in the CFL. Uh, but the thing that jumped out to me the most about this that was terrifying, BC in that second half, chasing, having to throw the ball, obviously, because they're trying to get their way back into the game. Yeah. They turned into the 2019 Lions. They yeah. went back to, and again, I understand they've been pretty heavy pass. They went almost exclusively pass in the second half. And you might say, well, of course, they're trying to get into it. That's I'm actually not disagreeing with going exclusively pass. What I'm concerned with is a stretch where they gave up four sacks over about 15 snaps. Yeah. In that stretch, I, I was terrified, not just for Riley, but just the Lions in general, because I went, all of a sudden, I've gone from the Lions being lucky whitehead, explosive, Brian Burnham dynamic, uh, sprinkling in the odd little run here and there, but really relying on Riley. He's getting clean pockets. He's throwing vertically. He's throwing with accuracy. He's showing toughness. And all of a sudden, he was just getting snowed under in 2.5 seconds with no ability to do anything. And I went, this is the same team from two years ago. And I'm confused by that. I really am going forward with the Lions here. I don't know what they are because I, I knew what they were. And then they spent an entire half reverting back to the team that I hope they had moved on from. And I hope the second half of this game for BC is not indicative of what they're going to be going forward. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because earlier in the season, there was a game um, BC hosted Edmonton and Edmonton won that game. That was the first game where Edmonton showed something. Um, where That's after the lone the first... game where Ellingson came to life. Yeah. And after the first two games, obviously, it was a struggle for Edmonton, but they got back on track in that game against BC and the offensive line was absolutely atrocious for the lions. Um, Joel Figueroa goes down early in that game and then they just couldn't protect while Joel Figueroa was back in the lineup. Now, I didn't think he played great uh, against Winnipeg over the weekend, but for the rest of that BC offensive line, it wasn't good. And, and Michael Riley was running for his life. Um, now, again, that could be the opposition. But I saw the cracks down the stretch, especially in that second half. I saw the cracks against Saskatchewan. And now I'm definitely thinking, okay, BC's not right. Riker Matthews is still out with injury. No word on whether or not he's going to be back this season. Um, but for Michael Riley, for his success moving forward, it, here's the crazy thing. For as bad as his offensive line has been at parts, it's even this season, he still only has one interception. Yeah. Like it, it just, shows you what you know treasuring possession of the ball means and not turning the ball over keeps your team in it and they were never really in this game I thought Winnipeg just turned when they turned the heat on yeah. BC just couldn't keep up they weren't even in the same you know arena or stadium um but for you know BC and Michael Riley I think I think they're still an okay football team I still think they're probably the third best team hands down um in, in the West Division um but what does that mean in a postseason situation if you can't get a win over Saskatchewan or, or, or Winnipeg? And it's interesting because, you know, Saskatchewan before this weekend, I thought that's a team that's clearly a very good football team. It's just Winnipeg is their kryptonite. Maybe BC is the same way. Maybe those two teams above them 
they just can't get over the hump and beat those teams. Um, so we'll see what happens. To me, you saying that about BC being the third best team in the West, I don't disagree with, but I think for yeah. both of us, it says more about where Calgary and Edmonton are at right now than it does where BC is at. Mm-hmm. Because if Calgary or Edmonton could have gotten their bleep together a little bit earlier in the season, I don't think we'd be saying BC is the third best team. And I might be prisoner of the moment because they've suffered a, a tough couple of losses here in week eight, week nine for the Lions. But uh, like watching this game, the dominance of it was total first downs, Winnipeg 28, mm-hmm. BC 13. Second down conversions. Winnipeg 13 of 20. That's 65% they converted on second down. 10 of 23 for BC. That's 43%. You're talking about a 22% difference in second down conversion rate. Total net yards. Winnipeg 508, BC 215. Yards per play. Winnipeg 9.1, BC 4.2. It They just handled business. Their defense was great. Again, it's Jeff Coat, it's Jefferson. And how about Stephen Richardson on one of the first plays of the game just being like, hi, remember me? Sack. Uh, I loved him getting into the fold as well. But uh, Mike Miller got dinged in this game, still ends up with three special teams tackles. Adam Big Hill, five tackles on the game, is tied for the lead with Brandon Alexander. Uh, I hope that Lucky Whitehead is good. I hope he's healthy because he's a difference maker for them going forward. Why'd but, they put him back in the game? Uh, that was that was frustrating to me. I, I was actually going to ask you, and I'll put this up. Winnipeg wasn't even covering him down the field because they're like, no. we don't think he can catch the ball. <laughs> why? Why would you if you're in that spot? If you're if you're Winnipeg, it's not but, only him having the ability to catch the ball. I can't remember what hand it was that he hurt. What happens if he's running with the ball? How's he going to carry it in that arm? in that hand if he gets tackled like Winnipeg's just going to go for the ball the best chance he had to catch a ball was if Riley threw it as hard as he could at his ear hole and it got stuck in the side of the helmet <laughs> like he couldn't catch he, on they, the sideline he was showed. warming up and he was like flipping his hand over to try to catch it and like trap the ball I'm like this. he was he was wincing and I understand like if you're out there and you're a decoy then just be a decoy completely but they threw to him like, they tried to throw him a ball in front of the Winnipeg sideline, and he couldn't grab it. And Brandon Alexander came over and gave him an earful. And I'm guessing that it was a bunch of, hey, mother bleeper, get off the field. You have no right being out here. You know you can't catch that. We know you can't catch that. Get off the Yeah. He, he was just re- ripping him up and down because it's like, dude, what are you doing out here? So uh, you can't convince me that Lucky Whitehead not having a body that can do the job he's being asked to do is better than having – Jacob Scarfone or Katoya there for more snaps or like put in a depth guy who actually can catch a football if it's thrown to him because Lucky very obviously could not catch a ball. But at the same time, I always err on the side of caution and player safety when it comes to injuries because I'm thinking, okay, what damage is he doing to himself by just being out there and trying to play? I thought the same thing with Vernon Adams Jr. in the game against Hamilton as he's wandering around on the sideline with a badly sprained ankle. I'm thinking, he should not be warming up right now. He's doing more damage to his leg, to his ankle that might make his recovery more difficult because he's being stubborn and trying to force his way out there. I respect the grind, but I don't think he should even be warming up. Well, doesn't VA come back in the second half and lead them to a victory in overtime? And I look like an idiot because I was thinking about sending out a poll question from CFP on Twitter on the weekend. That was going to be, which of, which is your favorite uh, injury that shouldn't have rewarmed up again from week nine. Lucky Whitehead or Vernon Adams Jr. I'm glad they didn't send it out because VA came back and did his thing. But for Lucky, yeah. Lucky it was very obvious he was not going to have a positive impact for the Lions. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, I understand the, the want to get back on the football field for those guys that go down. Um, and especially for Lucky Whitehead. 
And maybe the message was to, to Lucky, hey, you know, go out there. If you're open, maybe we'll try to throw the ball to you. But just take the top off the defense and, you know, leave things open underneath for, for Brian Burnham. Um, I think the biggest problem for BC was their protection. And, you know, Michael Riley just couldn't have enough time to, to find Katoy, find Burnham, and find guys on that offense. And I think the bigger problem, and you mentioned it at the beginning of this segment, was – they abandoned the run in the second half, which again, I'm not against, uh, you know, situation called for it. Well, don't put yourself in that situation. And for Michael Riley, especially against Winnipeg, like that was the problem for, for the Ticats, right? Week one, Ticats can't run the football at all. And Jeremiah Masoli's running for his life yeah. because now Winnipeg don't have to worry about the run and they can pin their ears back and Jackson Jeffco and Willie Jefferson are just getting after the quarterback and well, if that's going to be your reality, it's going to be a long day for your quarterback, especially against that team, which at this point in the season, I'm almost at the point where this is Winnipeg's great cup to lose. It comes down to a one game situation yep. in the playoffs. Um, I think the only team that is suited to beat them. I don't even know. I want to say the riders. Well, I, I, I want to say the riders, but the, the riders over those two games didn't prove anything to me. I'm with you. I didn't. I didn't have Winnipeg being this dominant this year at all. I really didn't. And I'm done doubting them until they lose. And and when they lose, if they do lose regular season or playoffs, another game, I will proudly stand up and say, okay, I was wrong. But, yep. but in terms of the bet that I'm making going forward, Winnipeg is the best team in the CFL without question at this point. The one thing I will mention when you talk matchup and teams that might make them struggle, that week three game against Toronto I think, it, I think it might actually be an interesting article for me to dive in on CFL.ca and basically go, hey, Winnipeg's untouchable. Nobody can beat them. So what the hell happened in week three? Yeah. And, and to actually look at that game really closely in terms of run pass, how they ran the football, the way they were able to create offensive formations. What did, what did Toronto find out from playing against Winnipeg in week two? Toronto that, got off to a good start in that game, remember? And then Winnipeg yeah. was kind of chasing the rest of it. And then, yeah, and then some of the pressure got applied. But at the same time, it's like, well, Winnipeg's, uh, sorry, Toronto's defense is being run by Chris Jones, not Glenn Young anymore. So even if they were to like play in a great cup, it's a different defense. And I just, I think I need to go back and watch that week three game really closely because that's the only time that we've seen anybody really make Winnipeg sweat a little bit. Uh, I think that that's, that's got to be something that I look at. But let's move on to that game that I mentioned. You were at, Kyle, of course, Hamilton against Montreal. Yeah. Vernon Adams Jr. comes in, plays hero. Geno Lewis at the end ends up, it was Malcolm Butler-ish for me as I was watching it on television. I love, I love, I love, and this is dangerous because I'm calling games now for TSN and I tend to be a bit of a fanboy, not for individual teams, <laughs> but just for great plays because I love the yeah. CFL. I love this game. And there was a moment as I'm watching that where VA lost the ball into the end zone and I see an explosion of bodies. And it's just like Malcolm Butler on the goal line against the Seahawks where he makes the interception and I can't tell who has the ball. And I just said out loud to myself as I'm watching, holy shit. Like I immediately, I just <laughs> went, whoa, because I, I had yeah. no idea how he got the ball. I had no idea how Geno Lewis found a way to bring that catch in. And it, obviously the game was much more than that. But yep. the way that Montreal fought their way back into this thing, doing it, essentially with Schultz for a little while, then Vernon comes back in. Vernon's not really right. There's a couple of drops. Cam and Julian Grant had a nasty one to start the second half. Uh, but they found a way. They found a way on the road to give Orlando Steinauer his first loss at Tim Hortons Field as the Ticats coach. And 
you know, we had a lot of people looking at our CFP power rankings last week who were saying, okay, so Toronto ends up uh, defeating Montreal and Hamilton beats Ottawa, but you guys put Montreal above Hamilton in the power rankings. And I responded to people that, that questioned that, well, why don't you go ahead and look at the larger context of this? Ottawa's a bad team. Hamilton didn't look great when they beat them. So why should they go up in the power rankings? Uh, Montreal looked pretty good against Toronto, despite the fact they lost. So they went up in the power rank. So I'm looking at the grand context of how are they trending? How do they look? How do they feel? And I understand this came down to overtime and crazy kicks by <laughs> Taylor Burlett and all the rest. But I just, I thought Montreal showed me something in this game, even with a banged up quarterback who was not nearly at 100%. Yeah, so a couple of things here in terms of the power ranking discussion um, and Hamilton not looking good uh, against Ottawa. I think any game that David Watford is your starting quarterback, your your team's not going to look fantastic. And in the rain and in a short week. Like, I get it. There was a lot of extenuating circumstances. Yeah, but it's whether or not you get the job done. Now, for this game, I don't know where to start because there were so (laughs) many. Because you were there and there was a lot of stuff happening. (laughs) Yeah, there was. uh, I'll say this. The last five minutes of the game made up for three and a half quarters or more than three and a half quarters of absolute dog bleep. Like the game was bad um, in terms of just the play on the football field. Um, okay. Jeremiah Masoli and the Ticats offense. How many times can he go two and out? Like literally it was the entire game. It was two and out off the field, two and out off the field. Okay. Long drive touchdown touchdown that Sean Thomas Erlington fumbles the ball then has to chase like like he dropped groceries on a slanted parking lot and his uh, his uh, <laughs> you know his grapefruit is uh, rolling down uh, the hill um and then just the ineptness of the offense that's what killed Hamilton you know go and look at the game log and see what happened uh Braylon Addison fumbles Montreal scores a touchdown Ticats go 2-0 give the ball back to Montreal. Montreal then gives the ball back to Hamilton. 2-0. Montreal kicks a field goal. Hamilton gets the ball. 2-0. How many chances are you going to give Montreal to get back in the game? And then, you know, uh, Vernon Adams Jr. throws that touchdown pass, at, you know, on the essentially on the third and 20. Um, now, going back to that play, the play before that, Tundea Delicate comes on a safety blitz, sacks Vernon Adams Jr. That put him in third and 20. Ticats decide, we're only going to rush three. On the the next play, Tunde Adelike is playing the rover position. Mm-hmm. He's now QB spying Vernon Adams Jr. because he has the speed to keep up with Vernon, at least maybe a little bit. Um, and he's going to be the guy to take down Vernon Adams Jr. Vernon tries to run for 20 yards. So they bring him on the football field. Did you see him also flashed across the screen uh, you know, on that touchdown pass? It was Mike, uh, Mike Daly. Yeah. He was on the field. He was covering Jake Weineke. Now, everybody else on the field, I don't understand why the Ticats were playing so deep. Dude, it's the goal line. That's the score zone. Watch when he catches the ball. There's three Ticats players behind the receiver. That can't happen for the Ticats. For as good as that defense has been all year, they screwed up on that play. They play too deep. I'm fine with playing all the DBs, but the two closest players to the football were Cam Kelly, uh, uh, you know, a, a linebacker, Simone Lawrence, the other linebacker, and Mike Daly, who's coming across and trying to make the play when that wasn't even the guy he was covering. He was trying to cover Jake Weineke. And literally at the same time, Weineke and the other receiver just cross and Daly just tries to jump and knock the ball down. And it, you know, turns into a touchdown. 
that was a bad defensive, you know, set for, for the Ticats. And I just thought they, they played it, you know, uh, wrongly. Um, as for the rest of the game, overtime. You know, we'll talk about the Taylor Bertolette, you know, kick because that kick Oof. was insane Amazing. into the wind. Amazing. The wind was insane. Um, and realized that uh, Cote um, earlier in the game, you know, there, uh, from 40 plus, and it came up like short. <laughs> the wind just killed it. And, you know, Bertolette was able to, you know, smash it through. Um, overtime, the hell are the Ticats doing? They get a completion and then they go hurry up. What are you doing? It's first and 10. Why are you going hurry up? Look at the play clock when the ball was snapped on the TSN broadcast. It was at 18 seconds. Literally, Jeremiah Masoli just ran to the line and snapped the ball. The whole thing looked absolutely unorganized. And then Sean Thomas Erlington, you know, fumbles it. And there's essentially the game. And for the Ticats, you can't make those decisions and, for, you know, and those mistakes. If you're Hamilton now, you have to decide. What do I want my team to be? Because if I'm going to rely on my defense, then maybe Jeremiah Masoli is not the right quarterback for this team because their defense was on the field way too much in the, in the fourth quarter of that game. And their offense made zero plays until the end of the fourth quarter where they got somewhat in field goal range and Burlett saved them. Um, but, but for Hamilton, and for Jeremiah Masoli, I don't know what it is with the, the offense with Jeremiah. Realize this. The three lowest rushing totals for the Ticats this season have all come in Jeremiah Masoli's starts. Why is that? Jeremiah, there was one play, I think, in the third quarter where there was an illegal contact penalty or a holding penalty, and you can yeah. clearly see it, and the flight comes out. And Jeremiah was rolling to his left. He had 20 yards in front of him. Dude, take it. No, what does he do? He floats the ball over the middle, incomplete pass. But hey, yeah. we got a five-yard penalty. It's like, dude, it's a five-yard, 10-yard penalty at the most. You could have picked up 15 with your feet. There was nobody on that side of the field. It, it blows my mind. And now for the, the Ticats, I think it's back to the drawing board. Because if, look, I think Dane Evans needs to return for Ticats to be successful. That's without a doubt. But for David Watford, maybe he's, he's the play over Jeremiah. And if it is, that, that signifies, I think, the end of Jeremiah and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Evans is clearly the future in Hamilton at this point, based on what we've seen this year. They both got a, a 1A, 1B opportunity. Masoli started, didn't go all that well, gets dinged week two against Saskatchewan, or week three against Saskatchewan, I believe. Uh, Evans comes in, shows you something. He gets dinged as well in that game on the road against Toronto in the Labor Day rematch. But based on those games in the early season, I think Evans is the guy uh, at this point. And yeah. And for me, with Jeremiah, it's just always been the decision-making because he can make a lot of great throws. I love he's, – he's super entertaining. He's creative, throws off his back foot, throws on the run. I've seen him make just some stupid, stupid, high-quality throws. The back foot throws at this point, I think, are annoying Yeah, it's, uh, it's for worn, fans. It's worn thin on me, as I'm sure it has for a lot of other <laughs> fans, where you're watching it and you're saying, I respect the hell out of the guy when he makes the throw because that's a crazy throw to make, but yeah. he's, he's making about three out of ten on those throws now. And uh, that's that's just painful sometimes there, to watch the decision making yeah. and, and choosing how he wants to try to deliver it. And he's trying to be creative. He's trying to do whatever is the best way to get it there. But Dane is so fundamentally sound that, yeah, he's the guy going forward when he comes back into the lineup. Um, for Jeremiah, there was a play, probably a third drive for Hamilton. Um, 
the pocket was fine. And I know protection for the Ticats is an issue and it's still an issue. I mean, 27 sacks given up through eight games. It's I didn't notice Woodmancy though. I thought that was a good thing. Like Coulter Woodmancy came in because they were changing up some ratio stuff. And I don't think I really heard his name called all that much throughout the day of like, oh God, look, that guy is overmatched. He he's, shouldn't be in that spot, which I thought was yeah. positive. They took a procedure penalty. Um, I think that was uh, the only hiccup kind of he had. Um, Kay Okafer got beat a bunch on the outside and then he got injured. And then it was uh, Jesse Gibbon to right tackle, Jordan Murray to to left tackle. Um, And it goes back to the June Jones thing, right? Why would I switch two players' positions instead of just one? And for Hamilton, I think it was a necessity. It's funny because Gibbon got a couple of snaps at left tackle. And I thought he looked good, but it could have just been, you know, those plays and they didn't feel comfortable with him in there and protecting Jeremiah. And I don't think Jeremiah is 100%. And I think that was, uh, you know, a health concern um, potentially for him and why he didn't want to run. There was a play, like I said, uh, probably on the third drive for Hamilton, the pocket was fine. And Jeremiah rolled to his left when he didn't have to. And I looked over at Bubba O'Neill and I said, did that pocket collapse to you? And he goes, give him time. And I'm like, yeah, you can give them time. But those types of plays, like when the pocket's actually there and you don't step up in the pocket, Jeremiah rarely steps up in the pocket and throws it confidently on that front foot, puts the weight into it and slings it. It's very rarely. The only time I saw it was on that final drive when Montreal was playing prevent defense. And again, he wasn't throwing the ball a ton down the middle of the field. He was focusing on the sidelines and trying to get a bounce. And, you know, that was the game plan in, in that moment of the game. But I think if, if you're Hamilton, you have to address this now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned David Watford. David Watford's not a better quarterback than Jeremiah Masoli. I'm not saying that. But if David Watford can get the running game going and keep the defense off of the field, and when you need a first down, what offense can get you a first down? David Watford's generic, simplistic offense um, or Jeremiah Masoli's offense where, yeah, you know, one every five drives, they're going to make a couple of plays, but the other four drives, boy, it's going to be rough. And you know, I bring up that rushing stat of the three lowest totals this season for Hamilton, all being Jeremiah starts. It could have been the opposition. You know, that was a tough start for Hamilton to the season, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Right. Um, but to, to come out against, you know, that Montreal team and just not be able to run the ball at all and try to th- you know, and, and first off, you're running the ball on first down. You're getting no yards. What do you think that's going to do for the defense, especially with that offensive line? They're going to pin their ear backs on, you know, second down and come after you. And, you know, for, for that offensive line, look, I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of crying about it um, for that offensive line. The Ticats aren't going to make a move. They're not. If they, if they were going to make a move on their offensive line, they would have done it already. Um, and especially with the quarantining rules and crossing the border, especially for unvaccinated guys, um, there's a potential that you're going to wait two weeks before, you know, a new offensive lineman comes in. Um, Chris Van Zyl, is he going to return this year? I don't know. <laughs> even if, if, even if he returns, great. You have the right side, you know, solidified. Um, I think if you put Jordan Murray back there, you're a little bit better. I don't think Jordan Murray's great. Like, uh, and again, you have Woodmancy in the interior of that offensive line. Um, I think it's better than Yarborough. I think Yarborough was awful. Um, and then, you know, Sirocco and Revenberg, I think you may have something there. Um, you know, my stance on this, I, I think that Sirocco should have played right guard and they should have got a center. But again, it's not happening at this point. Sirocco is your center for the 2021 tie gets. 
and we'll see where that lands. Um, but man, for, for Ticats fans, it is definitely frustrating right now watching this team. I hope I get a Ticats game at some point this year. I would love to call a Ticats game again and, and, and just see where they're at towards the end of the season. But hey, Thanksgiving against Toronto, good opportunity depending on what happens with the Argos here against Ottawa. If, if Toronto gets a victory on Wednesday night, they've got until Monday to get themselves prepared to go into this matchup again. By the way, them. I know you're calling Wednesday's game. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, inside scoop on who the hell's going to start a quarterback? Uh, no, I don't have anything as of yet. Maybe I'll find out later today when I talk to the Argos. That would be nice. I'm not sure they'll give us clarification <laughs> on that. But I do have a stat of the day here for you, though, Kyle. It's been a while since we've done the stat of the day on the show. Uh, and I just I pulled up the short intro for you here to make sure that we get in the stat of the day before we have to end up and, uh, and wrap the show. To go down in history. Montreal Alouettes ran 63 offensive snaps in the game against Hamilton. Mm -hmm. The only one they ever held a lead on was the end of the play that Gino Lewis scored the touchdown on. (laughs) 62 (laughs) of the 63 offensive snaps that the Montreal Alouettes took, they were either tied or trailing. They never actually held a lead other than that one with Gino Lewis because, of course, the final play of the game was the special teams unit where – they go out, they kick the field goal, they win the game, and it's over. But Hamilton, at various points in this game, was up by 10, up by 14, up by 8, up by... And they end up <laughs> losing the game, and now they got to regroup and get themselves yeah. ready. Um, I think another you know big thing that happened in the game um, between Hamilton and Montreal was the injury to Frankie Williams. Yes, Frankie yeah. Williams goes down at the end of the first Unger half. Unger did a good job, though. Unger did a great job returning. Um, man, I, I put out on Twitter, that dude shifty as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like small ball, like in the phone booth, right? He just like makes guys miss. And I'm like, he just broke three tackles in a span of four yards. Yeah. <laughs> like he's super shifty. Um, but bigger thing on the defensive side of the ball, they put Desmond Lawrence on that side because he was the only other DB, at least other a corner, um, not safety. In the defensive backfield, um, Montreal picked on him like every target was going to his side and he struggled. Um, so moving forward to Frankie's banked up, maybe they have to revisit that. And hopefully somebody on the practice roster can fill in that spot a little bit better than Desmond Lawrence showed. Um, but yeah, I think that was a, another big thing um, that happened in the game. A uh, weird thing for me was seeing somebody wearing Delvin bros number and Simone's last name. Like, oh yeah, seeing see a guy wearing 24 <laughs> Lawrence in black and gold, you're like, huh? 
It's a, it's a combination of these two great players for the Ticats over the last five to ten years. Who's not either of them? It was I was a weird thing. Why me. doesn't he have D Lawrence on the back of his jersey? Does he? Uh, I don't think so. I think he just has Lawrence. I think it's just Lawrence. I'm pretty sure. I'm sorry, but you have to go D Lawrence. Yeah, that's. I and, mean, and that spot is solidified in Hamilton. And Simone does not have to go S Lawrence. Let's be very clear about that. Simone oh, gets Simone gets Lawrence. You get D Lawrence. Okay, sorry about yeah. your luck. And uh, Simone, you know, credit to him. I think he's been you know great this year again. Yeah. Um. It, it, you know, again, I don't want to say this because obviously, you know, Simone's a great guy. And, you know, when we were covering the Ticats, I had a great relationship with Simone. Um, but for Simone Lawrence, you expect, is he going to slow down? When's going to be the year that he slows down? Uh, it hasn't happened. No. Hasn't happened this year. That's for damn sure. You know what he reminds me of with that big smile in the helmet when William Stanback is is yelling about him uh, is, and the black visor and the big smile, he reminds me of Venom. Like the the cartoon <laughs> character Venom, like just, just gave the Ticats marketing uh, marketing yeah, group an idea. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Venom. Let me Google this to make sure that I actually know what the hell I'm talking about because I am not a big superhero or comic book guy. Uh, but oh, there's also apparently a new Venom movie coming out. Yeah, uh, Venom. Let there be carnage, which seems a little wordy, but anyway, it looks a little corny to me. Those Marvel movies That's are it. always corny. Uh, <laughs> this is not a fair representation of Simone Lawrence because this thing is like grotesquely disgusting. And uh, but the, I hope people realize what I'm saying. The black visor and the big smile coming out from underneath the helmet eh, gives me some Venom vibes. But anyways, Simone Lawrence too. There will be carnage. Uh, people getting angry, by the way, about William Standback. Uh, complaint like saying, oh, that was a cheap shot by Simone. Simone didn't lead with the crown of his helmet. He didn't go to Stanback's head. Stanback was in the open field, standing still. Simone went through his back to try and wrap him up using his yeah. shoulder. The hell else you want him to do? I, I just thought that, that was amazing. But uh, let's get to Calgary-Saskatchewan here. Final game of the weekend, uh, ending off on Saturday. This one, two main takeaways for me. One is Bo's health going forward, and the other is how incredibly funny it is on Twitter, when Calgary and Saskatchewan play, one of my favorite things, I'll see somebody tweet, <laughs> I'll, I'll see somebody tweet, why the hell is TSN talking so much about Bo Levi Mitchell, Bo Levi Mitchell, Bo Le- Rod Black loves Bo Levi, Bo Levi, Bo Levi, Bo Levi, and then I click on their profile, 98% of the time, they're from Saskatchewan. Uh, then... <laughs> I'll see somebody very else. Sensitive. Yeah, then I'll see somebody else <laughs> tweeting out, oh my God, TSN, get over your love for Cody Fajardo. Oh, Fajardo this, Fajardo that. Cody's the greatest. Cody, oh, dual threat quarterback. Oh, he's oh, MOP, Cody Fajardo. Oh, the Riders winning as quarterback in the history through his first 23 starts. I click on their profile. They're always from Alberta. Uh, there is no separation here between <laughs> these two provinces and these two teams. It's the funniest thing because it can't be both ways, people. Like we talk about quarterbacks a lot in the CFL because they matter. And because these are two star quarterbacks. And I thought it was amazing on social media during this game, how everyone's like, "Ugh, stop talking about Fajardo. Ugh, stop talking about Mitchell. I understand there's other storylines, but like they're the starting quarterbacks. What else are they supposed to talk about? Yeah. Um, man, the first thing, uh, from this game, um, one, my pick for Cody Fajardo to win the MOP in 2021. That ship has sailed. That's not happening. He has, at this point, he has more interceptions than he does touchdown passes. Um, does he really? Yeah, he does. Um, oh for God. Fajardo, I don't know if you picked up on this. After the game, post game, I saw this on TSN. He was talking about his receivers. And he said, I'm tired of 50 50 balls getting picked off or going incomplete. And you know, never getting completed shots. And I was thinking 
is that a shot fired to your receiving core? Because here's the thing. Stop throwing 50-50 balls. Why are you throwing 50-50 balls? Down, you know, when they were down in the game and they had an opportunity to, to, to get back in it and then, you know, win the game. Cody Fajardo on first and second down. Why are you, why are you chucking a 50-50 ball on first down? Well, like he, there's he does he has eight interceptions to seven touchdowns. Oh my yeah, God. I didn't like that's that. that's the ratio right now for Cody Vajardo. And it's like, why are you forcing the ball down the field? And here's another thing: if you're gonna throw a 50-50 ball, throw it in the context of your offense, not two guys standing 40 yards away from uh, 40 yards away from you, standing side by side. I guess this plays over, and Cody Fajardo <laughs> rolling to his right and chucking it straight up in the air. Because guess what's gonna happen if two guys are standing still? It's now a true jump ball where your receiver doesn't have the momentum and the DB is not having to look backwards at the football. It's now a jump ball. And you know, what's going to happen on a jump ball. A third guy is going to come in from the opposition, right? And what happens when a third guy comes in from the opposition one, the potential now for the ball getting tipped up in the air and into that third player's arms is a higher potential. And he complains about the 50-50 ball. Dude, you overthrew this 50-50 ball in the fourth quarter of the, uh, of the game against Calgary. And it's like, maybe you need to change the context of your offense. And I didn't think about this until, you know, the game on Saturday. Is Jason Moss, like, trying to do a repeat of what he did in 2018, 2019 with, with, the, with Edmonton? Yeah, and, and Mike Riley and just being the super overly aggressive when he doesn't need to be. And... You know, trying to get, you know, chunk plays in, you know, 20 and 30 yards at a time. And it's like, dude, you don't need that. You have Cody Fajardo, and that's the best offense that he runs. Seven, eight yards at a time. You're running the ball. You know, you're finding guys open in the flats. And you're slowly working down the field. If you're going to rely on Cody Fajardo to, you know, pick up big, huge chunk plays, well, good luck. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I The thing that I noticed about Fajardo was going into the timeout that they had right before he threw the interception, him and Jason Moss were having a conversation. And I, again, I don't want to speculate on this because I don't actually know, but it looked as though there was some disagreement on what they wanted to do. And the very next play, Fajardo goes out, throws that long pass that gets intercepted down around the five yard line, yeah. which, and then Calgary goes and celebrates on the stage, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> we need to, we need to put a boat in that end zone so they can do the old tie cat celebration. But I know, <laughs> uh, but the stage is like, it's like a riser. It's not even like a fun stage. I was like, well, it's why like are you guys... three feet off the ground. I know. I was like, what are you guys... <laughs> it's not even fun. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna do something reckless with your celebration, make it really reckless, okay? Uh, but yeah, I saw this disagreement, or at least it looked like a little bit of discussion, you know, fiery discussion on, hey, what do you want? No, Fajardo didn't look like he loved it. And I learned from my offensive coordinator John Behe at McMaster and Steph Patatsik, my head coach at McMaster, that they would always call crossing routes for us in certain situations, you know, second yeah. and long, we'd get a cover two look, they'd call crossing routes. And I was bad at throwing crossing routes. And I, one time I threw an interception on a crossing route, I think against Carlton at home. And I went over to the sideline, pissed, pissed off. And Steph Patasic walked over to me and he said, what can I do to help? And I said, just in a moment of anger, I yelled at him. I can't throw crossers. Like you guys know this. I'm not good at throwing crossers against that defense. You guys watch me every day in practice. You know I don't do this very well. Why do you keep calling this? Coach P looks at me and goes, they're gone. They're done. Don't even think about it. I'll tell <laughs> Behe. He took something because the most important thing in offensive football is putting your quarterback in a situation where they are comfortable with the play. They like yeah. it and they believe in it. 
And to see that on the sideline before the interception where there's a disagreement, it looked like, and then Fajardo throws an interception. And then I want people to go back and watch after that interception. Fajardo rips off his helmet, goes to the sideline, grabs his hat, storms around. The game ends. They kneel it out a couple of times, and he runs to the tunnel. He was pissed. Yeah. And, and I, I really wish we would have got even more transparency and honesty. CFL wired, baby, this week. On for TSM. real. For real. <laughs> I really wish we would have got more transparency and honesty from Fajardo in the post game, where he could have come out and been like, listen, I didn't want that play. I had no interest in that. I didn't understand why we were doing that. There were so many other things we could have done on third down. It was very obvious. He's not going to say that, though. No, that's what I'm saying. Is like on the sideline, he was saying things to people and just like storming around for a couple of seconds. And again, I'm not just, I'm not saying, oh my God, Fajardo's making it about himself. I love that from quarterbacks because he knows what he wants. Yeah. And you have to know what you want and you have to know what you like in order to have success. And Fajardo clearly did. And he clearly wasn't given that. And that to me was the moment of this game that really put into crystallization, okay, if Saskatchewan's actually going to do anything this year, that needs to be addressed. Because I don't know if it's an ego thing, if Moss wants to just call his stuff, if he wants to run this big playbook, and he's all... But when Fajardo threw that interception, he came to the sideline, and I think I, I read his lips, and he said, every time, man. It's like, every time what? Please tell me. Like, what what's the issue here? Because if you're saying every yeah. time, and you're frustrated after you throw a pick, and you didn't like the play you were given... There's something going on there then with the offense where Fajardo isn't a huge fan of what he's being given, and that needs to change if they're going to win a great cup. Yeah, and there were parts of that, you know, uh, Calgary-Saskatchewan game where, for me, Cody Fajardo looked like Jeremiah Masoli week one against the Bombers. Um, Man, Saskatchewan's offensive line has not played well over the last little while, and Cody Fajardo numerous times is running for his life. Um, But you have to make those plays if you're Cody Fajardo, and... You know, you don't always have to go, you know, super long down the football field, or maybe that's what, you know, Jason Moss is drawing up. And maybe that's what Cody Fajardo was talking about. Um, I don't think it's a smart thing to go into a post game uh, presser. And I understand maybe you don't want to rip your coaches. Well, don't throw your receivers under the bus because those guys are going to be catching those balls. And guess what? There's going to be another time this season where you throw a 50 50 ball and it's not going to go your way. And if, those receivers know that you just said what you said after a loss to Calgary. They're going to remember that and say, maybe you just stop throwing these or at least throw it when I'm running a route and not standing still and hoping now it's a jump ball situation. Um, for Saskatchewan, look, I think, I don't want to say they're reeling, um, but after those two losses to Winnipeg, it did something to their psyche where they're like, oh crap, yeah, we're not we're not close right now to Winnipeg. And now if not for that huge comeback victory, where freaking Jimmy Camacho screwed up <laughs> for the BC lions and missed that field goal, that would have made it a two possession game late, man, you're talking about the riders being on a four game losing streak. That's not good. Or they, they had the win over Toronto, right at home. So, yeah. um, but, but again, like one in four in your last five games, man, that wouldn't have been good. Um, but they do get that win over BC. But for me, they still don't look right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And th- this is my last takeaway from this Calgary-Saskatchewan game is they have the rematch. And this was a really fun game. These games on Saturday were just exceptional. This was such a great day for CFL fans to be able to soak in everything this league is about. But the thing that terrified me was the game ends. 
and I have social media open. And Danny Austin does an incredible job. Give him a follow on Twitter, as always, at Danny Austin underscore nine. Because I love he, how sarcastic Danny is. I on love Twitter. him. I love <laughs> Danny Austin is my one of my favorite people in all the all of the CFL. I just I love. I was so he, surprised, and again, I didn't put two and two together when the Calgary was in Hamilton, and Danny walks in. He's like, "Hey, Kyle." I was like. Oh yeah, crap! Frick, I forgot about Danny coming to town. Yeah. Oh, you guys travel? That's great. Uh, <laughs> but Danny's one of my favorite people in the CFL. But it's not just his uh, his schmarmy sarcasm and and his curiosity <laughs> and his sense of humor. What I love about Danny Austin is he does a great job covering the CFL. Yeah. But his ability to get tidbits in Calgary on a team that you often don't find out a lot about is incredible. And in the post game presser. Bo Levi says that he didn't want to be selfish. He takes himself out. In comes Jake Mayer. And you end up seeing, uh, you know, Bo on the sideline trying to throw when he's wincing a little bit. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, hell, okay. I hope that's just like a contact injury. Then the quote mm-hmm. comes out from Danny Austin's Twitter post game. Quote, Bo Levi Mitchell says his shoulder tweak, quote unquote, is something that's been bothering him for a while and is, quote, somewhat related to the shoulder surgery he had in the offseason. Ooh. That, that is terrifying to me when I hear a quarterback. Now, this is the thing that really got me scared for Bo's future. Quote, I got surgery and it hasn't responded exactly the way that I wanted it to, end quote. On your throwing shoulder, you got yeah. surgery and it's not responding and it gets tweaked. And now your arm feels a little bit off and he's doing the responsible thing, taking care of himself, giving his team the best chance to win. I just, I'm worried for Bo. I am at this point because the whole game we're going, <laughs> the old bow's back, the old bow's back. And then you hear, well, his shoulder might not have taken to the surgery as well as he would have liked it to. And his arm doesn't feel quite right. His accuracy has been off this year, noticeably from previous years. And for him to, that's the first I've heard of that where he's mm-hmm. saying my shoulder is part of the issue. And for him to say he's been dealing with it for a while and that it hasn't taken, that's not something that corrects itself without going back in for another surgery. So, regardless of how the remainder of this year goes, if Jake Mayer ends up getting a bunch of games, if they shut down Bo, if Bo plays the string out and doesn't play at a high level, based on that quote, I would think Bo's going to go back in for another shoulder surgery on his throwing arm in the offseason between 2021 and 2022. And that's scary, man. Going in once on your throwing shoulder as a quarterback, your moneymaker is terrifying. Going in twice is even scarier. I remember when we were doing radio, Bob Harris, our old GM, said to me one time, you got to take care of your instrument. He said, your throwing arm, you would treat it with a lot of care when you were playing football. He said, well, your voice, you got to take care of that when you're doing radio because if you can't talk, if your voice can't yeah. do the things you need it to do as, Don't a, broadca- smoke. as a broadcaster, it will, or do because it gives you a dope low voice. Uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> uh, but if you can't do the things you need to do with your vocal cords, then you can't do your job. If Bo can't do the things he needs to do because they go in and do surgery twice on his throwing shoulder. And again, I understand people get surgeries all the time. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not scary. And to me, that's really scary. Um, that's a conversation that Dave Dickinson's going to have to have with, with yeah. Bo. And it's not going to be an easy conversation. Um, potentially in the next couple of weeks, if he says to Bo, you need to shut it down. You know, we have Jake. Um, he showed us, you know, something. Um, the rest of our team hasn't been fantastic. Um, but maybe this win against Saskatchewan can, you know, give us some momentum moving forward and maybe Jake can, you know, push us towards a playoff spot and catch BC. Um, and then, you know, we'll go from there. Um, as for the rest of the CFL landscape, I know we didn't talk about it cause the game was so long ago. Um, Edmondson, um, 
for me, it's going to be really hard this week not to put Edmonton at the bottom of the power rankings. Because how do I put Ottawa below Edmonton when they beat them twice this year? <laughs> Somebody explain that to me. That's a great, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah. I am definitely I, <laughs> putting Edmonton at the bottom of my CFL rankings. I don't know if they'll end up as the, you know, number nine team in the CFL. Um, but for Jamie Elizondo, his debut season as a head coach has been absolutely crap. How do you beat BC on the road in week three or week four and lose to Ottawa twice? It's tough. <laughs> it's a rough situation because that's the thing, right? Everybody has been joking about for weeks on Twitter oh, on your CFL power rankings. Do you guys just have like Ottawa like carved in a stone as that ninth team? Yeah. But now I'm thinking, no, they beat them twice. I can't put them below them. Yeah. Also, if anybody who doesn't agree with the power rankings because you count wins as being the most important thing, there's a website for that. It's called cfl.ca slash standings. That was my favorite thing in powering is when people were like, but this team won more than that team. I'm like, congratulations. Go to the standings page. That'll tell you everything you need to know. We're having a little bit more nuanced conversation over here. So if you'd like to join the conversation, you can feel free. What do you think the problem is wrong right now in in Edmonton? Because you can't say, oh, our starting quarterback went out and that's why we lost to Ottawa. Well, you lost Ottawa in week one with your starting quarterback. I think personally, it's a bit of a, a circus. Uh, and the reason I say that is there's a, there's so much going on. Like, you had a player who faked his own vaccination and when it was discovered, got cut. You've, you've had a COVID outbreak. You've had players, according to the league, breaking protocol. They've been slapped on the wrist multiple times with players interacting with fans uh, in a province that's not doing well with COVID. I saw stuff the other day that Saskatchewan and Alberta, based on essentially policies, vaccination rates, all the rest, have people getting admitted to ICUs and passing away at a rate three times that of the rest of Canada, I believe was the number I saw. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it was. Um, I mean, it's, I I can't put my finger on it. I thought this was going to be an explosive team, a successful team, and it's not. Uh, So I'm, I'm waiting to see whether or not there's patience in that organization. It's, it's a tough business to not meet your previously set expectations and uh usually there are consequences for those actions to quote Cavis reed when he was in edmonton and i don't know how short or long the leash is going to be for anybody at or near the top of that organization Uh, but i do know that there have been times in the past where organizations have looked a little bit messy like winnipeg and they've been given time and they've found their footing in year one, I would hope that Elizondo would get more of an opportunity. I would hope that Sunderland would get more of an opportunity, but I, I don't know. And that's up to Chris Preston and the people who run uh, the Edmonton Elks organization. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's uh, wrap up here, Kyle, as you give your thoughts and the three-minute warning on Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Get ready! Get ready! Let's go! A little urgency. Here we go! Let's go! We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Brought to you by that voice that you just heard. Talking about smoking and making your voice great. Mike Neighbors. He's the presenter. <laughs> his voice was always like that, though. He says that smoking hasn't changed his voice ever. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Anyways, here he is. This is what uh, the booming voice of the Ticats stadium announcer, Mike Neighbors, sounds like. Holy moly, Jeremiah Mazzoli! 
pretty good, man. I'm so glad that I got him to cut these for me. We need more cowbell! <laughs> uh, and this is my favorite one, where one time I was getting him to do some stuff for us, and then I said, oh, yeah, by the way, we posted this, and we had a bunch of funny comments, and he responded. Oh, yes, give me the comments. <laughs> I, I just clipped that because it was just us hanging out in the studio, and the microphones were on, and it made me laugh. But did you see do you see my neighbors when you go to the Ticats games? I haven't seen them since we got our asses canned from TSN Radio. <laughs> no, I did see him once getting food. Uh, the first Tyke, uh, second Ticats game. What did, he, what did he give you, Mr. Kyle? Miller. No, he did. So I don't know if you know neighbors has long hair now. Oh yeah, Very he long. has like he has the he has the pony going on, and I saw him. He has the mask on, and we looked at each other, and it was like halftime of the game. I think it was halftime of the game, and I say, Mike. He looks at me. He's like Mello. And then we talked for like literally a minute. He had to run off uh, back to do his thing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good the, to see he's the neighbors. Yeah, he's the greatest. Um, the one thing I do want to say about Edmonton. Yep. I've brought it up before on the show. Devon Claybrook's got one chance in BC and got sacked. He got fired. Um, that was a little bit of a different situation because the general manager at Hervey was under major pressure to do something. And he was like, I hired the, now I got to fire him because I got to turn it around or else it's going to be my job. Yeah. In Edmonton for Brock Sunderland, like this is a decision now for him, right? You're looking around and thinking, is Jamie Elizondo the right guy to lead us? And I know it's such a short you know, time window um, for Jamie Elizondo to show something. Here's the problem. He hasn't shown anything. And that Edmonton team, They'll be at the bottom of my power rankings after week nine of the CFL season, and it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. Yes, starting quarterback out is not an excuse. By the way, Taylor Cornelius, let's stop putting him on the field yeah, for Trevor, Edmonton. Let's find another somebody else. Trevor Harris is going to be back this week, Friday night against Winnipeg. Yeah. Look, looking forward to that one for sure. That's the show for us. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at CF Perspective, at Kyle underscore Mellow underscore, at TSN underscore Marsh is where you can find me as well. Thank you to Fox 40 and Sawdust City for uh, for helping us, uh, bringing this to life at Canadian Football Perspective. we got a great week lined up for you, Thanksgiving week. We hope that everybody is safe, healthy, happy, and we hope that you're having a better football season than the Marshall Thundering Herd, who lost to Middle Tennessee 34-28 over the weekend. Uh, our <laughs> Marshall Thundering Herd, they have now dropped three straight games after victories against Navy and Ooh. NC Central. Uh, they have lost 42-38 to East Carolina, <laughs> 31-30 to Appalachian State and 34-28 to Middle Tennessee. To their credit, close games. Uh, not to their credit, Middle Tennessee? The hell are we doing? Anyway, yeah. that's the show for us. Uh, thank you for following along. As always, we are looking forward to having a great lineup of shows for you this week. Check out the OUA show, of course, on our YouTube page as well. If you want to check out Wade Zenkett and Connor O'Neill on the Panda Game, 52nd. It was a classic. And, of course, we got the breakdown coming up for you this week right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Trains! Cars, planes, trucks, shut it down. We're all going to live in a hermetically shielded society for five months. So this gets taken care of. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.